Hey there, it's Jay Kunzo, and as you might know, we're running three episodes this week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, leading into the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States. And each of these three episodes has some kind of theme or insight or story that somehow relates in some kind of tangential but powerful way to Thanksgiving. And I wanted to leave this story to last, to the third spot of the week, because, uh, man, this, this story hit me so hard when I first heard it and got to craft it. It was it was a total privilege to tell uh, the story of these two people and uh, most importantly to the Thanksgiving holiday. I mean, a holiday literally built on giving thanks is this theme of gratitude in this story. Uh, and then also I happen to name it something very similar to something we find on the table around Thanksgiving here in the States, gravy. Although it's not really the interpretation of gravy that we have when we're gorging ourselves full of turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and all that goodness. But nevertheless, this story is the best example in the backlogs that I could find. This was first told, I think, at the end of 2017. It's part of season three, which arguably were the eight greatest stories I think I've ever told. But this story, I'm pulling out from the backlogs because it just applies so firmly to what we experience around the Thanksgiving table and hopefully what we experience every day in our work as creators, which is a sense of gratitude. So please enjoy this story. I call it Gravy. It's weird, isn't it? Sometimes the day after a big storm, it gets really nice out. The sun starts shining and the birds are chirping. Life seems kind of awesome. So all that mess and destruction from the night before doesn't quite fit the scene. It's like a, a portal just opened from the past and spewed out all these shards of wood and glass and twisted metal and shook all this garbage all over the ground and then closed up. The way that you feel on a calm day just doesn't match what you felt when things were chaotic during the storm. It's just weird, I don't know, it's, it's hard to make sense of it. Back in 2003, Jen and John Kimmick struggled to make sense of it too. The brick building where the couple ran a brew pub was 150 years old, and so it was prone to quite a few issues. But floods? They just didn't happen in Waterbury, Vermont. Not like this, anyway. Um, it was just a fetid, disgusting mess. About four feet of water ran across the first floor, where the pub and restaurant were located. But that was nothing compared to the destruction down below. Our entire basement was filled with water. You know, tanks were bobbing in the brewery. We also had our offices in our basement. Plus all their food storage and a big walk-in cooler. And, you know, that walk-in cooler really held a lot of valuable food because we were a farm-to-table pub. You know, we had whole fish and half pigs in there and wheels of cheese. All of which was destroyed by the flood. The brewery was an, an entire loss. You know, there's sewage everywhere, all of the food, our kitchen upstairs. You know, you can't salvage refrigerators that have had sewage and propane and all of our records from our office, just everything was an entire loss. Um...
Where do you go when things aren't going your way? One day seems great and the next, total carnage. It kind of makes you wonder what tomorrow will hold. When, when that is your reality, what do you cling to? I think there's something that we can reset to every time we need that clarity. Something so breathtakingly simple that it's easy to forget about it. And it's that very same thing that Jen and John remembered the day after the flood, and the next day, and the next day, and every day, on their way to sparking a movement in their industry. It's hard and elusive, but but absolutely critical. It's unthinkable. Stories of conventional thinking at work and the people who dare to question it. I'm Jay Akunzo. So there's this trend that keeps popping up with all the stories I've produced for this show ever since we launched it back in March of 2016. And I have no idea how to explain this trend. So, so naturally, today, you and I are going to try. The trend is this. A lot of big successes in the business world that you and I admire, all of those people didn't really set out to create something big. Ask them what their grand vision was, and they'd sort of shrug and say, I don't know, I just wanted to write some great stuff, to roast some great coffee, to create a great podcast, or, or manage a team, or deliver a great speech, or whatever the case. They all just focused on doing the job well. In the past, we've called this being craft-driven. You're so focused on the process that the results are kind of a, a bonus. I'd ask you directly, do you care more about the money or the way in which you make that money? We've profiled a ton of people on the show, but the common thread seems to be that they care deeply about how they make that money. That's their first and most foundational focus. In the words of one of our heroes in today's episode, John Kimmick. For me, it was like, I just want to make beer. And there's something just so refreshing about that, isn't it? Something so simple about what John said and what everybody has really said on this show. That, that idea of just, I just wanted to make great beer or great something. And yet, at the same time, in that simplicity, there's still a certain bigness to what they say. At the end of the day, it is beer. It isn't this crazy, magical thing, but, you know, it is a part of our culture, and we love beer. Beer is our life, but our business is so much more than just beer. Jen and John Kimmick could have easily given up. When their pub, The Alchemist, was, was devastated by that flood, they could have easily closed up shop. But you see, they wanted to make great beer. Not only because they love beer, but because of what beer represents to them and those around them. The first time I discovered their beer was a few years ago. I got a Christmas gift from my cousin Rachel. It was a gift basket full of stuff from her home state of Vermont. Inside were all kinds of jams and meats and cheeses and, of course, craft beer. But to get her hands on this particular craft beer, craft beer made by Jen and John Kimmick, Rachel first had to stand in line forever. And when she finally got to the front, she said, I'll have two. And they looked at her like she was crazy. Two? You want two? Yeah, she said, two. You know you can get four, right? But but no, Rachel got two, and so I got two. Two beers, two tall boys, big silver cans with black writing, almost like it was pencil sketched on the front. Two tall boys showing a bearded cartoon of a man throwing back a pint, hops exploding out the back of his head. Two beers emblazoned with the name of a beer that sends fanatics into a frenzy all across New England. Hetty Topper. I think you could uh, research alchemist or Hetty Topper tattoos 
and you would see quite an extensive list of people and their level of dedication to what we do here. Um, I mean, they're putting that on their skin forever. Dozens of them. <laughs> Hetty Topper is a double IPA. Because it's unfiltered, it's this, this beautiful, cloudy beer that's sold one pint per can. But it wasn't always canned. It began in 2004 as just one of several beers that John brewed in the basement of the Alchemist Brew Pub. And we didn't have it on tap all the time, but he would make it at least a couple times a year. And the popularity of Hetty Topper over those years at the pub just grew enormously. It got to the point where if John twittered out that Hetty Topper was going to be on tap the next day, people would actually fly in from out of state, from Florida, or even we had people come from the UK just to try this Hetty Topper that people were talking about. Um, so it was a crazy time. It was fun, but it was also it was challenging. Part of the challenge was that they were in the process of expanding when that big storm hit. Today, The Alchemist is a thriving brewery with two locations, Waterbury and Stowe. But it all started with that one brew pub in Waterbury. It had about 60 seats. Home-cooked food with local ingredients and always 7 to 10 beers on tap that John made in the basement of our brewery. They were living the dream. Vermonters really do love Vermont, and we really do care about each other. Is that... Is that so unique? I don't know. I would hope it's like I would hope it's like that all over the world. Uh, I will say when we opened our pub, our community pub, that was all John and I ever dreamed of. When we first met back in 1996, our dream together was to build a community pub. We wanted a place where people from our community could gather and talk and have good beer and food for an affordable price. That was our ultimate goal. Um, so even though we've grown. That's, that's still what brings us happiness, is seeing our community members come together and see them enjoy a beer, some food, and laugh. That's what it's all about for us. We met at the Vermont Pub and Brewery back in uh, January of 95. We started dating, and a month after we started dating, we were engaged. We just knew, you know, the moment we met each other, we knew that uh, we were meant for each other. John and Jen are both the kind of people who go after what they love come hell or, in their case, high water. For proof, just listen to what John was doing before they began The Alchemist to learn how to brew beer. I had two jobs at the time. One was at a coffee shop. And I would work there from 5 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon. And then I would sit in my car and eat lunch. And then I would go to my next job at 3 at the homebrew shop. And I'd work there till like 9, maybe but by the time you get out of there, 9.30. So, and then I go home and I go to bed and I get up and I do it all again, you know, but it, it was so that I could learn. I asked John, why go through all that trouble to make beer? Was there, was there a huge market opportunity that he identified? Was he going to disrupt this entire industry and get rich quick and become a titan of industry and appear in the press and on stages and in books and, and become the biggest influencer the world has, has ever seen with, with phenomenal cosmic power? Uh, I don't know. Because it hit me. Oh. <clears throat> um, right. And, and not only that, it was a perfect path for him and Jen to go down together. They're absolutely ideal partners. John handles all the brewing. And the... Uh Everything else is hers, <laughs> which is which is like ninety percent of it from my perspective, you know. Um, so it's amazing because she really is. I mean, 
she is incredibly gifted as a as an entrepreneur and as a boss. It's crazy. She just has a very uh, giving spirit and a very fair-minded attitude toward life. And it shows. Together, they were loving life. And in 2009, they decided it was time to welcome a new little member to the Alchemist family. Congratulations. It's a brewery. And they knew just the beer to get it going. It was a pretty easy decision for us to go with Hetty Topper as our first beer. You know, we really recognized um, the love that people had for it and how unique it was. See, back then you could get some really good unfiltered IPAs at brew pubs and they'd always be on tap. But you couldn't exactly find something that was packaged and ready to take home, especially on the East Coast. So imagine that you're them. Imagine that you're living the dream together with your significant other, building a business that you've always wanted to create. You've got lightning in a bottle with your product, and you're literally about to put it in a can. So you decide to go through this painstaking, quite possibly insane endeavor to build a second arm of your business. You need a facility and equipment. You need to source ingredients at scale. You need to find and hire a staff. You need to to find a way to distribute to stores and to market to consumers. Your entire being gets swept up in something this big and this exciting because it's your baby. It's your business together with the love of your life. But you think, you know what? All of that is fine because it's worth it. Imagine going through all of that. Now imagine... So the day before our very first cans rolled off our canning line at our new production brewery in Waterbury, less than two miles away, our pub had been devastated the night before um, with Tropical Storm Irene flooding. I mean, they were blindsided. The whole community was. Can you blame them? There were people all around us that had lost their homes, had lost all of their belongings, We had 22 employees lose their jobs. It was challenging. We ended up gutting the building. Everything got thrown out. But then, hope. Fortunately for us, we did hold flood insurance on the building and our contents. Um, And again, this was kind of ironic too. The only reason we had flood insurance on the building and the contents was because we had just started our new production brewery. And we took out a loan for that production brewery and... As guarantors, we had to put um, this flood and contents insurance in place on our brewery. And it was really expensive, and we didn't think we needed it, but, you know, fortunately we had it. And then a punch to the gut. Unfortunately for us, what we found out later was none of our contents in the basement would be covered by insurance because they were in the basement. And we had never been told this, but it was a a surprise. So everything, again, it was a loss. We ended up with almost enough money to gut the building and rebuild it with some of our insurance money. Um, But in the end, we ended up selling the building to another restaurant. What is it about you or or both of you that causes you to push forward in that moment? I feel like it'd be very easy to say, this is expensive. This is a lot of work. This is really stressful. We're going to close it up from here. Like, why... 
What's the driving passion behind what you guys do? Well, you know, I think we had some decisions to make, big decisions. You know, do we just gut the building and take our insurance money and leave? Do we curl up in a ball and cry? You know, what do you do? Um, But for us, the only option was putting our heads down and doing the right thing. Um, We had to clean up that building and we had to bring it back to its historical state and we had to make sure another good business went in there. I think it's important to restate here that they weren't rebuilding their own brew pub. They were rebuilding the property and the building and then sold it to a restaurant owner who wanted to keep it as a local business in that spot, a Vermont resident running a business for other Vermonters. We weren't just going to abandon our town and our community. They thought of the people who lost their jobs after the storm. And it's those folks who really ultimately suffered much more than us that kept us going. And they're the reason we we just fought through it. Um, We did end up increasing production at our production brewery in the next two years by 600%. And we were able to rehire most of our employees that had lost their jobs in the flood. Everyone who wanted to continue working for us got their job back. When you really think about that simple statement, that all they wanted to do was make great beer, you start to find these bigger themes packed tightly into that one idea. And it's like those toys that we had as kids. It'd be this tiny little figure made of some squishy foam that you put in water, and overnight it expands into something much bigger. For Jen and John, they wanted to make great beer. Yeah, that's the starting point. That's the small little statement. But it's because great beer represents something more. It represents a sense of community alone, none of us have much support. We all need each other to be strong and to be successful. And uh, community is everything to us. It really is, whether it's our employees or um, our neighbors or our schools or all of the wonderful nonprofits that take care of people in need around us. It's just, it's not just about us and it's not about profits. It's about all the people around us. It's about our planet. Um, And that's what's important to us. What is it about beer that does bring people together, that is this community uh, builder? Well, beer is delicious, (laughs) but, you know, it it certainly has its place in history. I mean, so many great discussion and so many great times have been had over beer. Um, Yeah, because really it is so much more, you know, I mean, beer is what makes it all possible, but beer is not necessarily the total end product and it starts at the center with the beer but it goes out from there you know between jen and i and then our employees and everything that is connected with us and what we do for our employees and the jobs that we create and quality of life and then it spreads out to them and they all have their own worlds and it goes beyond there and then our customers of course the beer is what draws them but like a lot of um, businesses like ours, people uh, personalize their relationship with you. And the beer is the physical manifestation of it, but it's how they feel about being a customer. They connect with the alchemist. They identify with it. They wear shirts with our logos on it because they're proud to say, we like the alchemist. So... It's a, it's a, it's crazy. <laughs> it's not the praise and the profits that gets them fired up. They, they have that, but that's not the real driving factor. Just listen to John explain how he feels about all those raving fans. It's, you know, it's a, 
I don't know. I guess I don't spend a whole lot of time analyzing it. Um, you know, of course, it's flattering that somebody would think so highly, you know. We didn't have to do too much for our community. We could have just focused on, you know, the heady topper mania. You know, people were lining up. But that would have been so short-sighted because that doesn't last forever. At the end of the day, the people that will support you for the long term are the people that you care about and take care of, your community members and your employees. So from that move to hiring back all the people who lost their jobs to launching a nonprofit that The Alchemist runs today, which focuses on the the 50% of local students who never go to college, all of those moves come back to, to community. Because if beer is about community and you're all about great beer, well, you should be all about community too. It is of the utmost importance to Jen and I to always keep that in mind, um, what it's like to be a working stiff, you know, you got a job and you're working for a living. If you're lucky, you find a job that you don't mind. If you're really lucky, you find a job that you like. And if you really just knock it out of the park, you find a job that you actually care about. I asked John if he could list some of the jobs he'd had where he felt like a working stiff. Oh, my God. Jeez. <laughs> um, Let's see. Uh, working in a lumberyard, mowing lawns, a commercial mover, cleaning houses, working in breweries eventually is where everything kind of came together, you know. But uh, being a bellman, I used to, I was a bellman for years at like uh, at nice hotels. So you don't want to talk about demeaning jobs. You're basically shuffling around, carrying bags for those more well-off than you and, and hoping that they dribble a little crumb down to you and give you five bucks. You know, I mean, that's, that's demeaning shit. And you go in there and you, you do it because you can make good money or uh, because you have to do it because you got to pay your rent. And so, you know, we want to be an employer that that takes some of those life stresses away. And, and that's a multifaceted thing. I mean, salary, benefits, atmosphere, work atmosphere, all that stuff. When times are great, they make great beer. When times are tough, they make great beer. Everything about Jen and John Kimmick flows from that one simple statement. They just want to make great beer. And we are... Oh my goodness. Obsessive compulsive with the way we produce the beer here. Yeah. How do you balance uh, like care for craft with the need to, you know, your it's like craft used for commerce, right? Like how do you de- balance the ability to do it well with the ability to do it commercially? Um, you just do it well and the rest follows. That's kind of been a philosophy from the beginning. Like a restaurant, if the food is amazing, people are pretty forgiving of any other flaws in the restaurant. But if you have it all, if you have the service and the atmosphere and the quality of the food, you'd be hard-pressed to fail unless you really don't know what you're doing, you know? So we looked at beer the same way, and it shows, you know? You're, you're pretty guaranteed that if you walk into any store and you grab a four-pack and pop that thing open, it's going to be perfect. There is no other option. For Jen, for John, for, for me, for you, doing exceptional work, doing work with integrity and the intent to be better than all the commodity average junk out there, that's not a choice. That's not a daydream that we have. It's mandatory. It's the only way we know how to work. 
There is no other option. And you have to be your own worst critic, you know? Is, am I just projecting or is this really a great beer? Right, right. It's almost like you have to love the process more than like some final end result. Oh, you can't even think about the... I never would think about the end result. I was just always so tickled that I was making beer and for a living, you know? And when, when we were, started our own place, it didn't matter how hard it got. But let's be real here. Things do get hard sometimes, especially in the information age. Advice is everywhere. There's, there's gurus and cheats and hacks and ideas from bosses and clients and your teams and, and your past. There, there's teams that aren't performing and technologies that need to be figured out and, and trends that tempt us. Our world so often feels like it's flooding. And in those times, it's so darn easy to just reach out and grab hold of something external. They said to do it this way. It's, it's the best practice. So let's just grab hold of that. But in our bones... We believe in doing exceptional work, not average, because at the end of the day, we just want it to exist. And, and in some simple yet powerful way, we can use that thought to get us through the tough times, because there's something so damn satisfying when we refuse to settle. It is really awesome to sit down at the end of the day and to just the other night I was taking uh, uh, the citrus gadouge that we have, have right now. I pour two thirds of that. And then I blend in a third of Heady Topper. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. It is like That's the most great. magical <laughs> combination. I mean, it's just silly how good it is. So, you know, that's a really great part. But, you know, there's lots of great parts. Why do you do the work that you do? Seriously, why? I'll wait. <sighs> why do you do it? Is it to build an empire? Is it to grow the business faster and faster for some reason? Is it about fame and fortune? Or can you keep it simple? Do you just want to make great beer? Because I think it can be that simple. But we have to stay in touch with that core reason. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, it, it really does seem simple. And isn't it amazing how much shitty beer there is in the world? Why do you do the work that you do? For, for me, I'll admit, I just want to make great podcasts. That's it. I want business content. I want content about the working world to reflect how I feel about my work, how I feel about career, you know, full of emotion and ups and downs. And, 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 and I want my work to reflect the work that I'm pushing you to do too. But, but that's it. I just want this show and others like it to exist. Now, now, here's the problem. When we admit stuff like that out loud, especially to people who are in our industry, well, we can be accused of thinking too small. Others can so easily write us off like, you know, that's cute and all, but we have numbers to hit, shareholder value to increase, industry dominance to maintain. And, and if you ask me why I do my work and I'm feeling vulnerable, I'll play into that. I'll say, I don't know, something inflated. I, I want to be the industry leader in blah, 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 blah. Or I want to tell the world's best stories about work. No, it's actually far simpler. I just want great podcasts to exist. It's, it's so simple. And it's entirely driven from within. Too often, like debris in a flood, we get swept off in the direction that others have determined for us. I think that's where average results and careers and companies get built. It's this perpetual trend towards what others are doing or saying. You know, it's this gaze outward for reasons why we should do our work. 
social media followers or, or promotions in our jobs or, or press coverage or valuation. We jump onto every new trend or every best practice a guru gives us. And that interpretation of bigness is all about external validation. But I think exceptional work and exceptional results from that work, it's so much more than the eye can see. I think it comes from the way you feel about your work. You know, it's still about making something bigger, but not in an external sense, in an internal sense. You know, satisfaction, meaning, fulfillment. There's something bigger here. And if you focus all of your work on finding those things first... It makes the rest just icing on the cake. When we strive to do something exceptional in this world, it's, it's not that we want something bigger, per se. We want something deeper. We want to do the work that matters most to us and matters most to others and do it with integrity, do it well. And the byproducts are results, the growth, the leads, the revenue, all of it. And I'm not saying that setting goals or even measuring your results is wrong. Far from it. it it's crucial. But it shouldn't be why we do what we do. We shouldn't let the outcome, the byproducts of what we do, change our mentality, the fundamentals behind our work. What's been the most surprising out of all this, if you could try to pick something out? Oh, my God. Just all of it, really. You know, we, we never... Our original goal, we said, boy, if we could just have our own pub, a successful pub, that would be the best. You can call the way John thinks simple. He doesn't care. He just wants to make great beer. And with that as his guiding principle, he's built something exceptional. So, why do you do your work? If you can figure that out, you can cling to that. In sunny days and stormy days, doesn't matter, it'll get you through. When the world of work gets overwhelming, when it's flooding with distractions and demands and information, focus on that thing. Because when we make the process the point instead of the results, we get better results. Just take it from Jen and John. They realized a long time ago the simple reason why they do what they do. And I think everything that has followed is just gravy. This entire season has been about one thing. Why best practices prevent us from doing our best work. The, the change in the behavior in all of us that we're trying to make here, and that everybody in our stories really has already made, is to stop obsessing over everybody else's right answers for us and instead start asking ourselves the right questions. And there's a skill for doing that. It's called intuition. As longtime listeners know, intuition comes from the Latin intuir, which means knowledge from within. And the way you get knowledge from within is you ask the right questions within your context. But here's the thing. If we're going to turn inward to find our answers, it's there that we find our toughest challenge yet. Because it's so easy to do commodity work. It's so easy to find the best practice or, or put on repeat the tried and true. But when we turn inward, we face a battle. And next time in our season finale, I think we're finally ready to march into that battle. Now, fortunately, we're going to face this conflict together with a guy who's doing something truly unthinkable online in a space, by the way, that has more best practices and more conventional thinking than pretty much any industry niche on the Internet. Together with him, you and I are going to face the final boss, so to speak, the big bad, the battle within. And our Helen of Troy, this this face that launches a thousand ships and starts this battle is a very short question that this guy we're going to hear from so often asks the world. Wait, but why? 
That's next time on the season finale of Unthinkable. Dun, 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 dramatic music, and we're out. We'll be right back.